In this super timely episode, we focus on the priority of life. We're talking about saving lives during active shooter and mass shooting incidents. As warriors, our instincts are always to protect and to save lives. Today's guest is a good friend of mine. His name is Don Deo. He is a retired Green Beret and Special Forces medic and also a firefighter paramedic. This guy is an expert in tactical casualty care. He's also the founder of D-Day Response Group, a company that teaches tactical casualty care and tactical firearms to civilians, security, and first responders. Join us, men, in this deep conversation about what it takes to save a life during a hyper-violent active shooter incident. Stand by. My dad's name, Rafa, and his podcast rocks. Welcome to the Man of War podcast where we forge men into warriors and get them battle-ready for the game of life. Learn warrior hacks that strengthen your mindset, self-confidence, courage, and personal protection skills. Unlock a life that embodies a warrior spirit for dynamic success in life and in business. If you're joining us for the first time, you're tuning in to the one and only podcast that empowers you to achieve greatness by living the warrior lifestyle. Each show, we interview elite men from around the globe and delve deep into their mindset and daily rituals, uncovering their secrets to success. I'm Rafa Conde, founder and creator of the Man of War movement. Join me on this life-altering journey where we recharge your mind, body, and spirit. Rise and I, my brothers, welcome back to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Conde, and I am your host. I am stoked today to have on a good friend of mine, Don Deo. This guy's going to share with you some phenomenal tips on saving lives when the shit hits the fan. Just a quick order of business here before we get started. Do not miss this opportunity to join the Warrior Development Program and link up with hundreds of warrior-minded men that are changing their lives by developing confidence, courage, and strengthening their warrior spirit. Now, these men are having success in all facets of their lives. They're improving so many facets. I'm talking about beating the hell out of fear and stepping up, forging their body, their mind, and their spirit. This is proven by the emails that I have received from so many of you telling me the stories. Mind-boggling, man. I, I'm, I'm so honored and the changes that you guys have made. Listen, it's all about forging men into warriors. Do yourself a favor. Stop by forgingawarrior.com. That's forgingawarrior.com. On another note, if you enjoy this episode, please share it. Leave us a review. And of course, subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to go to manofwar.live for the show notes and to access the entire collection of podcasts. And of course, we'll have some bonus episodes there for you also. Thank you guys for your support. Now, whip out a pen and a notepad because you're going to want to take notes. Let's get right into the show. Don Deo, welcome to the Man of War podcast, man. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much, brother. Great to be on. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, congrats on, on the podcast and all the su success. I appreciate it, man. We're, we're kicking ass. We're doing great here. But uh, because of guests like yourself, this is what's making it happen. So 
tell us who you are. I want, to, I want a good intro here of who you are because um, our listeners right now, I know they've been asking. I've received emails about the topic that we're going to get into today. So I am super psyched up. Oh, that sounds good. Um, uh, my name's Don Deo. Um, I'm the co-founder at D-Day Response Group, which is a veteran-owned and operated company. Uh, we've had it for about three and a half years. We're up here in uh, Palm City, Florida. Um, I did 27 years in the Army. Uh, I was an 18 Bravo, 18 Delta, and 18 Zulu in Army Special Forces. And uh, I'm also a lieutenant on Palm Beach County Fire Department. So um, I've been really fortunate to have a good uh, array of experience in the medical field, you know, as far as the military side goes and deploying, and then also on the civilian side with local first responders and EMS and fire systems. Awesome. So tell me, how did you, I mean, you did your time. How long did you do in the military? I did 27 years total time. Okay. And so you just decided right after that to, to kind of break out and go into the, uh, into and obviously into the fire department. How did you kind of make your, make up your mind and decided, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Step up and be a firefighter paramedic. Well, actually it was, it was kind of interesting because I was I was very fortunate in um, going into 20th Special Forces Group out of Florida. It enabled me to, you know, stay in the Special Forces side and still deploy and do my job in the military and serve with my brothers on the team there and also get a job on the outside, which, you know, initially was a firefighter paramedic with Palm Beach County, Florida. And um, I was able to, I mean, on several occasions, deploy for 12 plus months away from the fire department and then come back and uh, have my job waiting for me and have my brothers and sisters at the fire department and be able to kind of run those dual roles and get experience on both sides uh, of the coin. But I really felt like the fire department would be a great way for me to transition back into civilian life and have a great job and still do medicine and still work to help people and train people, you know, once my military career was over. That's great. So when you decided to go enlist in the military, is that something that you wanted to do, be a paramedic, go out there and, you know, learn tactical medicine? I mean, was that something that you just said, hey, man, this is for me? No, it's actually kind of crazy how it happened. We I, I was in the military and um, initially and when I went into special forces in the army, I was an 18 Bravo. So I was a weapons sergeant on the team for about six or seven years and uh, deployed, did a lot of, you know, South and Central America uh, deployments. And the reason I, I became a medic, I always had an interest in the medical side, but I saw that while we were deployed in these austere environments, I really felt like, hey, you know, I'm watching our medics that we had, and we were always short um, Green Beret medics, uh, 18 Deltas. So I'm watching them, and what an awesome responsibility. I mean, a huge responsibility, but I felt like who better than to take care of the team than me, you know, or, or someone who's this passionate about medicine and wants to learn it. So I actually reclassified from an 18 Bravo, a weapons sergeant, to an 18 Delta medical sergeant and became one of the, the initially the junior medic on the team, on my special forces team. Well, that's a great story. So, I mean, it was something that I guess the more you did it, the more your mindset developed and what you saw around you. 
were you deployed out to South America, you said, a few times? Yes, absolutely. Um, several trips to South and Central America. And in the mid-90s at the time, it was, you know, Colombia was big. So we worked down in Colombia. And, of course, like complete austere environment, no, um, you know, no real definitive care facilities. So, you know, as an 18 Delta, we pretty much were it. We were the, uh, you know, the the doc, you know, the first responder, the EMT, the paramedic. Uh, even the counselor at wow. times, you know, depending on what everybody was going through on the team. <laughs> no doubt, man. That's uh, definitely uh, you had a rough going there, but I bet you learned a lot in your experience, you know, built, I imagine, uh, every deployment and every one that you treated. I mean, that, that must be, you know, hands-on experience. I'm a big believer in that, you know. So let's go into what happened recently here in Vegas. All right, we had an active shooter as everyone knows, and one of the downfalls that I saw there, and specifically in videos and from um, individuals that were there, friends of mine, police officers, um, the lack of knowing how to treat people, especially from civilians, was mind-boggling. So I'm having you on this show. I mean, you're a friend of mine, and, and we've known each other for a while, and but more importantly, because of your experience. And I kind of want to dig deep here and see what you can kind of offer and maybe give us a different insight on how the hell can someone help another individual that's been shot, bleeding out in such a mad chaos such as Vegas? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um First and foremost, I mean, I want to definitely give uh, big props to all the first responders out there because it, their their response was amazing. And um, the survivability increased um, so much just because of how fast they responded. And they actually, you know, responded in a way that um, is not normal for a lot of departments to respond. You know, they were OK with sending you know, one officer, one deputy in with one paramedic. And um, if I understood correctly, they just recently had some training in this. So it really, really paid off big dividends um, for how their response was. So big, big kudos to them. And I mean, it's just amazing. They got to keep up that training because training is the key component. Um, as far as, you know, on the civilian side, one of the things that, that we pride ourselves on is taking somebody from um, either feeling or being helpless in these situations to being empowered and helpful. And the way we do that is through training. And we train, uh, I mean, we are just, you just mentioned hands-on training, and that is, I mean, that is what we do. 95% of our training days are hands-on. There always has to be in our courses a little bit of PowerPoint, you know, a little bit of information. You know, we got to put out the good information and, and some statistics and stuff and why we do it this way. But then we jump right into the hands on training. And um, I learned a long time ago in the military, the way I was trained as an 18 Delta um, was every no matter what it was, a piece of equipment, a tourniquet or a pressure dressing. We work with that exact piece of equipment. If there's going to be five of them in circulation, then we work with all five of them. If we're going to have three different pressure dressings, we work with all of them. And we rip the packages open and we spend money 
and we put them on each other. We put them on patients. We put them on mannequins. We start with a crawl, walk, run uh, mentality. So initially, yeah, we're standing up doing using props and practicing the mechanics of this stuff. And then sure, and sure. then we start applying it to each other and the mannequins. And then we add some moulage and make it look realistic and feel realistic. And then we step it up and, for example, live fire with law enforcement, full live fire, you know, live rounds out on the range, treating each other, treating mannequins, um, maybe smoke out the range, maybe some, you know, even fireworks as explosions, things like that. We really bring their stress level up. So they are learning this sure. muscle memory that they're not going to forget, just like they operate, as you well know, you know, your weapon in a, in a gunfight on, on, on shift as law enforcement or going for your communications, using your radio to get back up there. Those things become muscle memory for you. We need this stuff. We need point of injury care in the equipment that we use to be muscle memory from now on. And it's not right now for, for most. It's not right now, whether it be civilian law enforcement, you know, first responder um, or what. So let me ask you something. The videos that, you, that I'm assuming you saw a bunch of videos of people running and stepping over other individuals and they're bleeding out. As a layman, take, take law enforcement and military out. As a civilian, as someone, a warrior-minded guy that wants to step up and do the best he can to, to save a life or two. I mean, give me an idea of what someone can do. Well, obviously, you know, getting getting a training course is the number one thing you know so that you not only knows how to know how to use commercial devices that are out there but there are so many improvised techniques to stop bleeding i mean the number one thing right now is extremity bleed you know arms and legs are bleeding out we apply a tourniquet high and tight and we tighten it until the bleeding stops it doesn't have to be a specific commercial tourniquet, although those are awesome and been tested and they work great. But we teach improvised techniques. It could be a cut up T-shirt, you know, with I, I mean, in Afghanistan, I had a patient that when I arrived, the patient had a triangular bandage or cravat tied uh, high and tight on the leg with a hammer tied in there as a windlass to twist and tighten it. So there are so many things available to us right there at the event or on our body or in our backpack, you know, that we can use. So first and foremost, what we're talking about is preventing further death or injury. So, you know, a civilian running around that has the mindset that they want to help and save lives, they need to move people to a so safer location, first of all, so they themselves don't become injured or killed because then they're no good to anybody all right so so let me let me go back don let me interrupt you so let me go back here so we, so our listeners could really understand what you're saying so first and foremost you want to take the individuals that are that you feel are, are you can work on get them to a safe place where you're not absolutely. being shot is that what you're saying? absolutely and in a and basically, uh, you know, an accredited program or, or a course that we teach, you know, where you're getting national certification, we either call it, you know, on the military side or uh, care under fire um, or, you know, on the civilian side now. I mean, there's so many names that are coming out, direct threat care. What we want to do is we want to get them out of harm's way. We want to get ourselves out of harm's way. Um, on the law enforcement side, we're going to mitigate the threat because we have a weapon 
and we've been trained to do that, you know, or, or you know, government agency or whoever's there with a weapon. Um, you know, on the civilian side, if you're not an everyday carry person or you're not trained to engage a threat like that, you need to move these p- patients to safety. You also need to be able to recognize someone who is not viable and not use equipment and time and risk lives for a pay, you know someone who is not viable at that time. And uh, honestly, that's one of the hardest things that we have to get people uh, kind of this paradigm shift and, and get their minds set right, whether that be civilians or law enforcement or fire rescue. Um, because as you know, if you're working with somebody, your partner has been a 15, 20 year veteran partner of yours, um, you know, that, that probably is one of the toughest decisions you'll ever have to make in your life, you know, to, to leave somebody out in the open, um, and, and work on and move towards the viable patients, you know. So when you say move them out of harm's way, obviously we're going to be looking for cover, some type of concrete wall, something that at least stops rounds or get them as far away, I'm assuming, from from that direct threat. Absolutely. Gentlemen, just a quick order of business here. Just to remind you, I have a brand new manual. It is titled Strengthen Your Warrior Spirit, Eight Strategies for Optimum Performance in Business and in Life. Basically, the manual is designed for entrepreneurs and warrior-minded men just like yourself. Get it for free at forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. Now back to the show. I, I would, one of the most important things um, I would say is the way we teach it is to have a plan. And although that plan might, might have to be developed, you know, in split seconds, looking at the patient, you know, you're, you yourself hopefully is behind cover at this time and cover being something like you said, that can stop bullets, not concealment, you know, not, not bushes, not something that won't stop bullets. You think you're hit, but stray rounds, you know, stray bullets will still hit you and cause injury or death. So we look at the patients, where the patients are, where the viable patients are, and we, how are we going to run out there? How are we going to grab the patient and move them? If, if, if we've been trained then we might go grab a couple people, explain, you know, how to an extremity carry or just grab people under the arms and start dragging them. But when we run scenarios prior to anybody having any training, most people run out there and try to grab the shirt, grab things that are not going to hold. You know, they're going to start pulling them. What if the person doesn't have a shirt on? How are we going to grab this person and drag them or pull them? And where is the nearest cover, you know? If there's cover five feet away, mm-hmm. like um, right. one instance that I know happened there um, to uh, one of our guys that works here at D-Day with us, um, he has a very close friend that was on the ground there at the event with his uh, spouse. And they immediately went under the bleachers, which was the closest thing to them. And um, he basically, his account of it was there was rounds pinging off the top of the bleachers and, you know, while they were under them, obviously bleachers, there's, you know, we think about bleachers, there's, there are holes and spaces for, you know, rounds to come in, depending on the angle, if we're really breaking it down. But if that's the closest thing that you have, and you need to get under that, you know, that's the closest thing until you can eyeball the next spot that you're going to move to, or move patients to, then that's what you need to do. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, You know, I think uh, in our society right now, although this was an extreme um, show of of uh, 
this event was, was something that was larger than most any other event we've had happen um, on U.S. soil, you know, um, from a lone gunman like that. And we look at that, guess what? It's, there's probably going to be more. So, you know, time to prepare is now, you know, um, time to learn how to, you know, some patient movement techniques and get people out of harm's way think on your feet and, uh, possibly even carry in, you know, a backpack or a small medical kit. I mean, I, I don't leave, I don't go anywhere without it. My wife does not go anywhere without it. My, my children know how to apply tourniquets. They know the principles to stop bleeding and they're six and eight. Where can, where can people get tourniquets? I mean, I, I had a, and I had an active shooter show a couple of weeks ago that I kind of brought in and, and I got, great feedback on that but i did get a bunch of emails and people are confused about tourniquets what do you recommend well i mean i i highly recommend the cat tourniquet the combat application tourniquet and the reason i like the cat tourniquet um, is because it is the most efficient to apply to yourself um and uh it is it is very secure it has a tensioning ribbon that when you tighten that windlass, um, if the tourniquet is placed correctly, someone's been trained on it, um, you, you can have bleeding stopped in, in seconds, in a matter of seconds. And, uh, you know, you can notate the time on it, which is excellent for down the road when the patients are transported to a definitive care facility. Um, I just think, you know, that, that you know, there, there's other commercial tourniquets out there. There's the soft T. Uh, the cat and the soft T are both... Um, TCCC committee approved, you know, which is the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Committee. Um, they're all, they're both approved. Uh, the soft tee is an excellent tourniquet as well. Um, in my opinion, it's a little bit more difficult to apply to yourself, you know, to your upper extremities um, if you're the one injured, but um, they're both excellent tourniquets. And one of, one of the issues that comes in is People, you know, you spend money on retail, $25 to $30 on a tourniquet. I mean, are you going to buy five of them? The average citizen going to buy five of them? Most people are not going to. So if you can get yourself one or two really good uh, commercial-grade tourniquets and start building a kit, then I suggest, you know, for under a dollar, you can buy several cravats or triangular bandages. And, um, you know, for a couple dollars, trauma shears. Um, there's all different types of, of items that you can use as a windless rod to tie around an arm or a leg and tighten. And those are very low in cost, you know, and you can have, then you can have, you know, five to 10 tourniquets and let alone civilians carrying these at events. We're starting to see it more that events are starting to add these bleeding control kits to defibrillator boxes, um, you know, have, yeah, sure. exactly. Have come. That. So that's excellent. But one of the problems is a lot of people don't know they're there. As a matter of fact, you know, unless you advertise it, no one knows it's there. Um, so there's event staff, sure. but if event staff hasn't been trained extensively, you know, and even if they know how to put on a tourniquet, do we know that this exact person has the background or training that when bullets start flying, they're going to stay on the ground to help? Because not everybody stayed on the ground to help, you know. Um, although there were many that did, um, not everybody did. Let's talk about the mindset that it takes to go out there and deal with someone that's bleeding out in a situation like that. Um, it, it, it's certainly 
a situation where um, you can Monday morning quarterback it all day long, but it is a high ten situation with so many revolving parts that it's very difficult to narrow in and focus on what is truly happening uh, initially. Uh, my opinion is once you get a grasp and you cross-check yourself, which means, you know, obviously you are okay, you're not bleeding out, um, you can take that step to the next level, whether it be to terminate the threat or deal with what you have in front of you, saving lives. My question to you is the mindset that it takes to deal with blood and people just dying in front of you. I mean, how do you go about fortifying that and developing that? And this is more for you know, the, the, you know, the, the warrior minded man that wants to go out there, um, and do what he can to help others while not being in the military and law enforcement. I I would say the number one thing is training dispels fear. If you are trained and you, I mean, repetition, as we all know, no matter what it is, whether it's shooting, uh, studying for a test, I don't care what it is, you know, in order to master a skill or to be able to do a skill muscle memory while we're under in a stressful environment, no matter what that is, what that skill is or what the environment is, training is going to dispel that fear. It's going to build confidence in the equipment that you're carrying, or you've kind of got the knowledge to use a shirt that will work the same exact way. If you have the training, you're going to be, you're going to have a lot less fear. You're going to have confidence and you're going to be empowered and know that you can save your own life, the life of your family or friends, or just fellow Americans that are at an event. Um, and one of these situations arises, um, a lot of the help that we've seen on scene was off duty police officers, firefighters, first responders, um, military veterans, you know, per, just like reacting because, um, fortunately a lot of us have been through situations similar to that. And that mindset is already ingrained in us. So we just react. But like you said, as you know, a, on the civilian side, somebody that wants to become that man of war, like you're saying, have that mindset and push forward to be more helpful in these situations and not helpless is get trained so that they won't have the fear, they'll have the confidence, and they'll be empowered to change the outcome of these situations. Because absolutely, the first responders on those events are the civilians, you know, and in, in concert goers or whatever that are standing on the ground right there in the middle of the shooting. People are dropping around them, and their decisions right there are, are at the point of injury is what make the difference in survive, you know, increasing survivability and more people walking away. Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's backtrack a little bit. So we got them. We got the patient behind cover. They're bleeding out wherever the wound is coming out. I mean, what's our next step here to, at the very least, get them somewhat stable until medics get there? If we can, if our number one focus is, is getting someone, getting the bleeding stopped, if they are conscious and want to sit up, we can get them behind cover and have them sit up. And actually, you know, talk to other patients, you know, comfort other patients. I mean, a lot of people think if they're in that situation, they would not be able to do that. But they will actually, you know, engaging them in helping a lot of times take their takes their mind off the fear and the pain and the whole situation that they're going through. Um, one of the big things that we teach 
is once we get somebody the bleeding controlled and we get them behind uh, cover, we put them in the recovery position. Um, you know, we lay them on their side, kind of using their knee, one of their legs uh, bent at the knee as a kickstand. Um, and their arm is under their face so that if they're bleeding from the mouth or nose or they're vomiting or they're unconscious, um, you know, that way everything will drain out of their mouth. They'll able to still breathe on their own and it gives them their best chance of survival because one of the main things that happens, and I mean, Vegas was unbelievable to say over 500 injured. Um, I mean, you know, in Palm Beach County, we have, you know, a hundred apparatus, right? We could bring, you know, every apparatus, every firefighter, paramedic, you know, an officer on duty. And uh, to be honest with you, you know, there's no way, you know, to just go, okay, we're going to have enough equipment and enough personnel to treat over 500 people at that response. So what we teach um, is a leapfrog technique where, you know, you you start treating patients, treat the life threats first, i.e. keep the blood in the body, stop the bleeding, get them behind cover, put them in the recovery position. We can form little casualty collection points where we have groups of casualties in a safer location so that as first responders start coming in, they can start going straight to them and either treating new casualties or starting doing um, more care, you know, uh, what we call indirect threat care um, and start transporting, you know, patients to a definitive care facility, a trauma facility or nearest hospital. Um, But we leapfrog from patient to patient um, and that way, we can we can do the most good. We can stop the you know all those bleeders. We can put those people that are unconscious with bleeding controlled in the recovery position, and we can just keep leapfrogging through the crowd. And um, from what I understand, that's what they did once the response happened. You know, having one officer, or deputy, and one firefighter, EMT, or paramedic, or also you know first responders teaming up in teams of two or three and just moving through the whole event and through the whole crowd treating as many people, treating as many life threats as they can, and then moving on. Very good. So what do you recommend um, someone to have and in, in say they're, they're a kit that they might bring to a concert or to an open-air event um, that they can carry in, uh, say, and, and maybe throw it in your, your wife's purse or, or, or fanny pack or shoulder bag that I carry, and I'm a big believer in, in a go bag. I take that everywhere. Um, and I do carry my tourniquet and, you know, certainly, but, you know, give us a few things that medical, you know, from medical perspective that someone could use to save another life. Um, and, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. I, I absolutely carry several tourniquets. I mean, you know, we kind of go by the, uh, one is none, two is one. Um, and I like having, you know, at least three or four, um, in the bottom of my backpack, And um, my wife also has a kit and um, the kit does not have to be in some expensive bag or anything. It can be in a freezer, Ziploc freezer bag. The bag's not important. Doesn't matter how cool it looks. Doesn't matter if it's tactical, as people say these days. It matters if the right equipment is in it and you can have it (laughs) with you because some things they won't let you bring into events. But if you can show it in a clear bag and go, hey, look, this is tourniquets and pressure dressings. Um, very important to have. Um, I love the commercial grade pressure dressings. You know, Israelis are great. Um, ETDs uh, from North American Rescue are excellent. We use those things and abuse them, and they stop the bleeding. If if used properly, you can have a tourniquet effect with those pressure dressings. You know, they can even act as a tourniquet. 
Um, so they work excellent. I personally carry hemostatic agents. I, I carry Cellox Rapid, um, which is, uh, you know, most people hear, you know, combat gauze or quick clot. Um, I, I personally carry Cellox Rapid, um, and it's excellent um, in the civilian populace from young to old because it's not affected by uh, anticoagulants or blood thinners, um, you know, that we see a lot in our civilian population. And it only requires one minute of direct pressure um, during wound packing to start the clotting process of bleeders. Uh, and then we can place a pressure dressing over that. So um, tourniquets. How, I mean, how, how effective is that? Have you, have you experienced that it, act, that it works um, dynamically? I mean, from, from my perspective, yes, I would say I have experienced it and it does work. Um, but, you know, there are some others that are not big believers in that. Well, I'll, well, I'll tell you, prior to any of the hemostatic agents, prior to any hemostatic agents that came out as an 18 Delta in Afghanistan, we used uh, Curlex. And Curlex is just a big, thick roll of gauze. And, and don't mistake it for, you know, going into Walgreens and buying, you know, a little roll of gauze and opening it up. And, and you could actually, you know, if you unrolled it, you could watch, you know, watch TV through it. You know, it's so thin. Um, not that. We're talking Curlex. And it starts with a K and you can look it up and you can order it. They are under a dollar a piece um, or right around a dollar a piece. And you can order cases of that stuff. What comes into this is the technique. So the wound packing technique, packing the gauze into the wound is what is the most important thing. You could use a shirt. You can use an old sock. I don't care what you use. But if you have a bleeder that is not on an arm or a leg, it's not amendable with a tourniquet, then you're going to have to have something, you know, initially being direct pressure, secondary being pack something into the wound tight, fill all the voids, and then apply a pressure dressing over that. So the technique is the most important. And we can just use Curlex or regular gauze for that. But to step it up a notch, and yes, they do get expensive, the Cellox Rapid, the Combat Gauzes, they absolutely do work. And they absolutely, if you, if you can afford to purchase them and you can afford to have them in your kit, it's an excellent addition to your kit. Um, I know there's 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 naysayers with everything right now. It's just listening to some where somebody was saying, you know, the majority of, you know, not everybody needs to carry a tourniquet or all this stuff. And, and I I basically would have to say that these are people have, who have not been in these situations, you know, um, and, you know, sure. being able to sure. improvise is huge because I think in a crowd of 500 plus uh, injured, you're, I mean, you know every single person in that crowd would have to be carrying a kit with a few items in there to handle multiple gunshot wounds or, you know, injuries on, on 500 plus people. But, but remember we're, we're working towards, you know, a solution, right? We're starting now and, and, um, you know, we've had tourniquets on Palm Beach County fire rescue trucks for the last couple of years. And, uh, we're still working through getting everybody trained proficiently on them. Um, you know, so it, it, it is, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. There's a huge paradigm shift going on right now where people still go, Hey, wait a minute, don't put a tourniquet on me. You know, I'm going to lose my arm or leg, or I'm not going to use tourniquets. We still have that right now going on. 
um, even with all the studies and all the successes of tourniquets over the last, you know, 15 plus years in Afghanistan and Iraq with the military and, and other distant uh, lands, um, you know, they work, they increase survivability. Um, it's just little by little things trickle into the uh, civilian side, you know, first probably law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, first responders, and now into the civilian populace. But it has to happen if we want to be prepared. If we want to save American lives, we got to be prepared. That's good stuff, Don. Good stuff. So let's talk a little bit about, let's shift tabs here, about the mentality and the mindset of the society nowadays. I mean, warriors are so few and far between nowadays. Like, unfortunately, I saw videos that I was not happy with um, in in situations um, like Vegas. Um, I saw people you know, kind of stepping over each other, you know, and just prioritizing their life, which obviously it's the first reaction that any human being is going to have. But then it got to a point where it was just, you know, stepping on people um, and and just kind of focusing on themselves and kind of not giving a fuck about others that were injured. So I want to talk a little bit about the mindset nowadays and especially in your field where you're out there saving lives, you know, day in and day out, it's, it has to be tough on you. I mean, it has to be, uh, I mean, you're, you're dealing with individuals that many times are injured to a point where, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't bring your game today, um, this person's going to die and they're in your hands because obviously you're a first responder uh, whether it's in Iraq, whether it's in, in a park, in a beach, wherever, the bottom line is you're there first and you're doing everything you can to, you know, help this person survive or, you know, save a life. So talk to me about the mindset. I, I will. And, and I think it's kind of like twofold. I'll, I'll talk first about um, as a first responder and dealing with that in all in all walks of life, you know, I mean, there's so many different people who are put in those positions, you know, um, all the time in law enforcement, government agencies, fire rescue, EMS, I mean, military across the board every day, people are dealing with that. And the one way I deal with it, honestly, is I try to always keep myself sharp. You know, I try to do something on my truck, you know, at fire department every day. Uh, with the guys, my guys, I'll say, hey, you know, you pick something today, uh, a basic life support item. I'll pick an advanced life support item and we're going to tabletop it, you know, and talk about it and we're going to train on it. Um, we're going to, you know, make sure we check the truck, you know, make sure we stay vigilant on this. Try to learn something from every single call, because one thing that I can assure you is, um, you know, the loss of someone is a terrible thing to live with, you know, but being in a position where you should have or could have, you know, known how to do something or had the proper equipment and training, but, you know, we're not sharp on your skills that day, whatever that may be, um, living with that, you know, the inability to complete the mission and do everything in your power to try to, you know, save that person. To me, that is, you know, the worst thing possible to try to live with. Um, so that's the one side of it, you know, um, the, the other side on the civilian side, I really have to say probably, you know, a lot longer ago in my life <laughs> back <laughs> in the day, 
I was probably a, a, a lot less um, uh, easygoing about this. But working on the civilian side and, and um, you know, because before it was just military and kind of, you know, everybody, you know, for the most part is a hard charger and there's no excuses. And I'm working on a special operations team and guys are just doing their job and, and working hard and just amazing individuals, you know, the you know, the just the absolute best in the business. And then when I started running, you know, for fire rescue civilian calls and I started kind of seeing how family members respond when their own family members are injured or sick and some are very helpful. But to be honest with you, the majority are very helpless and they just don't know what to do. I mean, you know, on a sidebar, I mean, I want to, you know, our goal, our team at D-Day, you know, our goal is to make as many people helpful in these situations, not just on the active shooter side, but if your own family member drops from cardiac arrest and I want you to feel confident to do yes, proper CPR and hook up an AD and, and react, do something, you know, just do something and make a difference. Um, but what I've learned is that not everybody is made up like that. You know, not everybody will, would even be able to do it with sure. the training. Yep you know, and proper equipment. So, uh, you know, I, I try not to at this time in my life, you know, and where I'm at with, um, the business and, and my life and my kids and my wife and my family is I try not to judge anybody's reaction. You know, I mean, it, it's unfortunate. And I wish that every single individual could look to their left or right and have the proper equipment and no matter what happened, respond sure. appropriately. But that's just, you know, that's just not possible. I think, uh, fear, you know, and, uh, in and, and traumatic events, I mean, do crazy things to people, um, you know, just make them react in, in different ways. I mean, you'll see people trampling each other. You'll see people, you know, moving away from even loved ones that they could have, like, if they just looked and could focus, they could make a difference, but they're not able to. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever want to judge anybody for that. I, I would love to say, Hey, we're going to train as many people as possible. We're going to try to get to everybody. And you know what, if that increases the percentage of people that will respond and do something and help increase survivability, uh, in these, in these chaotic situations, then that's what we want to do. Um, and the majority of those that we see are the ones that are, are willing to learn. They're reaching out to us and saying, hey, I want to get my business trained. Hey, I want to get my family trained. Hey, I want to have my whole family. We've had whole families come out and take our, our shooting courses and our tactical medical courses. And that's a family you want to live next sure. door to. Of course. Of you know course. what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that's like, you know. Um, and then to answer the, the other part, the, the, to me, like the warrior-minded individual i think in this day and age has to be so well-rounded you know i think in the back in the day we used to think that the dude needs to be wearing some like awesome body armor have every weapon known to sure. man you know what i mean be able to say hey i have fifty thousand rounds you know in my safe and i'm ready to you know um ready to uh you know go go to war with this stuff but i think in this day and age and what we're facing in our society um, you know, a warrior minded individual has to be so well-rounded. Yes, absolutely. You know, have the shooting skills, you know, have the confidence, um, you know, to, you know, carry every day and protect their family, their friends or fellow Americans from what's going on in our society today. I think that they have to be 
have, you know, some medical training, you know, to do that point of injury care, to have the proper equipment and knowledge and stay on it, keep training. These are all perishable skills, you know, that we're teaching and that people are, are gathering, you know, in this day and age. Um, but I also think, um, a warrior minded individual has to be very situationally aware 24 seven. I don't mean prepper aware, like, you know, like I changed the kind of the way I, I live my life because I'm, I'm in fear of things, but I mean, situationally where just like always aware of your surroundings, you know, for your family's sake and make that aware to them as well. Um, kids start learning at such a young sure. age, um, you know, and, and I have, I have daughters, you know, I mean, it's very important, you know, that, that they're situationally aware and that they're prepared to not only, you know, protect themselves, but also protect their family, you know, if the time ever arises. And, um, one of the last things, you know, is, is I really think that, you know, like communication skills, like inner, you know, interpersonal communication skills that are, are taught, you know, in the academy, like in different, like the fire academy, the police academy, um, they don't do much with that in the military years ago, but now they're getting a little better at it. But, um, I, I really do believe that you don't have to be like a leader your whole life you know, to be at an event like Vegas and be able to look at somebody and motivate somebody that isn't trained or doesn't have the equipment to put a knee on somebody's bleeder, you know, to help you like instruct somebody. You really have to be the type of person that can, you know, catch somebody's attention and instruct them to do something and, you know, basically, you know, have them do something that they normally would not do. You know, so I think communication skills and, and that interpersonal communication piece is really important in this day and age um, for so many different reasons. Very good. Good stuff there, man. Uh, anytime you communicate with someone or especially someone that you're not you know, familiar with and you're trying to push them and trying to you know, get them to step up to that next level to help someone. I mean, it, it takes a lot from you, but. It can be done, you know, and you don't have to be, you know, a, um, a special forces SWAT guy, medic. You know, no, you can be just a layperson and step up and, and to certainly help individuals out there, which um, I would have liked to see a little bit of a better job done um, in our um, in the last shooting that we had in Vegas. So, Don, this is the deal. All right. You are a paramedic at heart. I want our, our listeners to kind of get a feel for what you do in training your company. Talk to me about that. Um, absolutely. Uh, so D-Day Response Group, and uh, we get a lot of com comments on the name. You know, it's D-D-E-Y Response Group. And uh, my name, of course, is Don Deo. So the Deo, D-E-Y-O. Um, we just basically dropped the O and... Um, you know, at, at D-Day, um, I have to say, you know, there's a lot more than just Don Deo. We have an amazing team um, that's led by my wife, Cecilia, who's the president of the company, who is also a veteran and also unbelievably passionate about this stuff. And uh, so as a whole, we're we're very I don't I don't want to say picky is not the right right word. We're very. um particular about who comes on the team um and it's all about like experience and training and passion you know passion is so important to be able to you know 
get students from, you know, one place in the morning and we might only have one eight hour day or two eight hour days to completely change their whole thought process or enable them to save a life or, you know, um, maybe take a life. I mean, honestly, if it's a shooting course, um, you know, to protect their family. So that that's, you know, that's kind of the D-Day team. Um, most of the instructors, you know, right off the bat are just well-spoken. They're, they're really, um, they're experts in their field and, uh, they're really patient with everyone that we train, uh, and very humble, very humble, uh, you know, guys on the team. And so, so what we do is, um, lately we have been, we train from the civilian with zero experience, um, you know, whether it be a rest, you know, a lay rescuer, you know, just wanting to learn medical skills or someone saying, Hey, I want to bring my daughter shooting. Um, you know, for the very first time she, she's afraid of guns. She's never held a gun or, you know, my wife or my son, this is the situation they're in. Um, we take from all the way from them and train them all the way to training, um, special operations veterans, um, who are now, you know, some are now on the police department, the fire department. We're training tactical medicine um, to police departments and fire departments. And, um, you know, we've trained uh, members of the DEA. We've trained members of the Air Force. We've trained members of the Army. And uh, we, we run a different type of course. We teach all the hands-on skills first. And then we run everybody through in live fire situations. And I, I really don't care what anybody thinks, you know, when they say certain things about training and, you know, there's simunitions, there's uh, simulated situations. But I know that when we go live out at the range, that's where the rubber meets the road. That changes the whole way, even law enforcement officers that have been doing it their whole career have come up to us after the live fire medical scenarios and live fire, even if it's a tactical handgun course and just say, Oh man, I have, I just feel like I've learned so much. I've been exposed to so much that I wish we would have done this 10 years ago. I wish we were doing this, you know, every couple months, you know? So we really, um, we really take our training program serious and, uh, we've been working hard and I would say very fortunate to be training, you know, whole departments, several departments in the South Florida area, um, from SWAT teams to uh, firefighter paramedics, um, every day, you know, the road officers, deputies, um, and some of the government agencies. So, very good, very good. I'm, I'm happy for your success, and certainly uh, you're doing it uh, with some good guys, and, and your your wife leading the way there. That's that's great. Uh, where can they reach you? Okay, we have a we have a website, d-dey.com, but the majority, I would say, the majority of uh, people get us on Instagram, which is d underscore dey response group, and also on Facebook, which is d day response group. So what I'm going to do on the show links, uh, I'm going to go ahead and link up the uh your website and your instagram and also your facebook so so our listeners could uh if they decide to stop in and get a course or give you a call are, are you're taking civilians right i mean okay. absolutely 
Absolutely. That's the majority of what we do. Very good. So I'll put that on the show notes so uh, my guys here could step up and take a course. I would highly, highly recommend it to anyone listening to this show. I think uh, you could learn some great life-saving skills uh, from Don and his team. Don, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on. We learned a bunch here. And uh, certainly I want to have you back soon enough. Um, Please do me a favor, all right? Stay safe out there because the streets are a little bit crazy. I know it. I live it every day. And uh, without you guys, medics out there and and firefighters, um, it would be a rough going, no doubt. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, thanks for everything you're doing. I really feel like um, what you're doing is so important. Like, let's get the word out you know, to as many people as possible and get everybody trained um, and, and the world will be a better place. And uh, thank you so much again, brother. And I want you to be safe out there because I know you're in the thick of it <laughs> where you're at all the time. <laughs> you got it, man. Bam. What a great conversation with Don Deo. These principles and tactics and techniques that you learned, they are so important to save lives. Put them into your toolbox and use them when you need to. Step up, be that warrior, and save lives. But remember, you will only be able to use these skills efficiently if you train. So what I want you to do is go to the show notes at manofwar.live forward slash MOW forward slash 18 to get the link for Don's company and get some badass training. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter facebook and instagram at man of war podcast also go grab that free manual titled strengthen your warrior spirit at forging forward slash manual and of course go sign up for the warrior development program you have my word guys that you will not regret it forging until next time remember your life may be challenging and full of dangers but never retreat Your last battle may be your greatest victory. 